Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Greg Bell covers the Seahawks for the Tacoma News Tribune. You can follow Greg Bell on X on Twitter, at G-Bell, B-E-L-L, Seattle. Uh, he joins us right now. We've had Greg on the show before, probably um, before they played Seattle last year. I can't remember now. Um, but Seattle uh, still has a head coach opening, and Washington still has a head coach opening. They're the final two. And yesterday, Greg, um, it got a bit more intriguing when Adam Schefter went on Pat McAfee and suggested that, you know, Dan Quinn to Seattle and Ben Johnson to Washington are, you know, essentially not done deals. And he would predict one or both don't happen. Um, update us on who Seattle has interviewed and then give us your hunch as to who their number one target is. Well, hi, Kevin. Good morning. Good afternoon, D.C. To you as well. I've been reporting reporting since the start of this that I didn't think Dan Quinn was a slam dunk because it would be, in many ways, a continuation of what the Pete Carroll regime was. It would be the Pete Carroll 4-3 defense, defensive schemes, the vibe. He was Carroll's defensive line coach when Carroll first got here in 2010, and then he became the Super Bowl defensive coordinator for the Legion of Boom defenses in Seattle. So in many ways – why didn't they just keep Pete Carroll if they were going to bring someone in like Dan Quinn? And I saw them going in a completely different direction and a complete break and change, which is why they made the move in firing Carroll. Since then, they have interviewed Quinn twice. Uh, they've inter- they interviewed Raheem Morris once, and we're scheduled to interview him a second time before Atlanta hired him. Jiro Evero, the defensive coordinator, young defensive coordinator from the Carolina Panthers, they interviewed him twice. Frank Smith, offensive coordinator for Miami Dolphins. Nine, eight candidates in all they interviewed. They didn't interview Mike Vrabel, who they were reportedly linked and interested in. And they've been waiting on Mike McDonald. They were willing to wait past the Super Bowl, and this process of interviewing would have continued past the Super Bowl had the Ravens won on Sunday in the conference title game. So they wanted this opportunity to talk to Mike McDonald. They've spoken to Ben Johnson twice. They interviewed him yesterday, last night, in Detroit, and now they're in the Baltimore area to talk to Mike McDonald today. But it has never been in my mind, and from what I've been told, uh, Dan Quinn first and only. They were really curious to hear and learn the different ways on offense and defense guys like Ben Johnson and Mike McDonald uh, have. And the main question they have is two main questions in Seattle that John Schneider has been asking these candidates. One how do you beat San Francisco? Because that's what Seattle has to do to get out of their division, get home playoff games, and get anywhere to where they want to go. And number two, and what I think, Kevin, makes the Washington job more attractive than Seattle's to a head coach right now, 
what's your plan at quarterback? Because the Seahawks don't have a future quarterback. They have a quarterback in the present, 33, going on 34-year-old Geno Smith. But his contract ends after the 2025 season, and a new head coach is going to be under contract longer than that. And, of course, in Washington, as you know, the number two overall pick, a new coach can handpick a quarterback in this year's draft, not to mention all the salary cap space, most in the league that you know that Washington has. Seattle is actually over the cap right now and have to trim just to get under it, even under the top 51 rule in the offseason. So to me, the Washington job is more attractive, especially to a guy like Ben Johnson. See, I, we've talked about that the, the last two days, and I think that we have kind of um, showered ourselves around here for the last you know months thinking that it's just you know uh, an incredible opportunity. Look, it's, it's an opportunity now because Snyder is gone more than anything else, yeah. and then you add – you know, the cap space, the draft choices, the number two overall, et cetera, and it becomes more attractive. But what I was saying earlier, um, Greg, is that, you know, for a guy like Ben Johnson, Seattle's a much more prominent franchise. You know, we we like to, to in people my age, understand what this franchise was you know, a three-time Super Bowl-winning franchise in the 80s and 90s, one of the storied marquee franchises in the league for many, many years. But it's been over a quarter of a century since that's been relevant. You know, a guy like Ben Johnson has grown up thinking, oh, my God, you know, Legion of Boom, 12th man, Seattle's home field, the fan base, they've won, they've contended. And, by the way, I think Seattle's roster right now is a decent roster where if he were to able, if he looked at Geno Smith and said, I can at least get Jared Goff like performances out of Geno Smith, Seattle's much closer to winning now. Well, if they could get Geno Smith to perform like Jared Goff this year, 4,500 yards and all the touchdowns and a few turnovers, they would take that. But yes, I agree with you that the roster talent is better in Seattle. And the other thing Seattle has is unlimited resources for paying a coach. If Ben Johnson wanted to go twelve, fifteen million, the Seahawks certainly could do that with Paul Allen and his estate. Uh, Money is not an issue. There's no salary cap for coaches in the NFL. Another subtlety here—it's not really subtle if you're a GM in the NFL. What's your coaching staff going to look like? And when they talk to Ben Johnson and Mike McDonald and Dan Quinn. What, who's your offensive and defensive coordinators? Because both Washington and Seattle, they're not just hiring a head coach, as you know. They're hiring an entire coaching staff. And in Seattle, that's a huge change from what it's been here the last 14 years with right. Pete Carroll. Carroll had his guys he was very loyal to. He, he promoted from within to coordinator spots. Dan Quinn himself was promoted from line coach to defensive coordinator. Clint Hurt, the most recent defensive coordinator, was the Seahawks' defensive line coach. So this is a, going to be a big departure. And the philosophical issue out here for Snyder in Seattle is do you want to continue with a defensive coach, defensive-minded head coach as you have had the last 14 years, which McDonald and Quinn would be, or do you want to go completely different and go hotshot young offensive play caller head coach, which, of course, has been the trend of Super Bowls lately. Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay being the most prominent that the Seahawks see in their own division every year. And the thinking out here is, because they've been going one way with Pete Carroll for so long, 
to make such a bold move and fire Carroll with two years left under his contract that they're going to go a completely different direction and go offense, and that's why they're so interested in Ben Johnson. Yeah, I think it's going to come down to Johnson deciding between Washington and Seattle rather than the Seahawks and the commanders picking who they got. Uh, so you think the, Johnson will be the number one choice for Seattle? You think they'll offer him? I, I do. Uh, it, it's a question of whether Washington does it first and better. And again, for all the reasons we just talked about with the number two pick and the salary cap and being able to hand pick a quarterback. I think in Johnson's case, that's a bigger, bigger factor here of the quarterback situation between the two. I hear you about roster and legacy and, and where the franchises have been in the last decade. But for a 37-year-old offensive play caller for his first head coaching job, getting to handpick a brand-new quarterback to bring yeah, up I get your it. way. Yeah, that's what yeah. I think the advantage is for Washington. Understood. Um, we're talking to uh, Greg Bell. Uh, he covers the Seahawks for the Tacoma News Tribune. Let me just ask you one thing about the quarterback situation out there. Does anybody think Drew Locke's got a starter future in the NFL? I think Pete Carroll did, uh, and Shane Waldron may have. He's not under contract either. His contract was just for one year mm-hmm. last year at $4 million to back up okay. Gina Smith. But, yeah, the Monday night game against Philadelphia, Philly. I think, probably get him a free agent uh, signing. This time last year, he was in the same situation, but he had not played in the 2022 season, so he didn't have a market for him, and that's why he signed with Seattle. But he talked at Locker Cleanout Day about how this is so different and now the league can see I can do it, and I think he expects to get at least a, an offer somewhere else than than he had more than he had last year. So tell us about Dan Quinn from your perspective, because if Ben Johnson decided for whatever reason that Seattle was where he wanted to be, and let's just both assume you're right, and that is he's going to have his choice of the Skins or the Seahawks, one one of the two. Um, apparently Quinn is very impressive, uh, from what I've heard in interviews and, you know, after their first interview with him, there were people, you know, in that search committee here that considered Quinn to be a viable candidate, maybe a plan B to, uh, Ben Johnson. You had him there. He was the D coordinator with Pete Carroll, uh, during those Super Bowl seasons. Um, what would Washington be getting from your perspective if it ended up with Dan Quinn? Big, big vibe guy. Big locker room, uh, player first. Players love him. Uh, he relates really well to them. He's not this mighty authority that dictates. He's a real give-and-take coach that the players really respond to. They did out in Seattle here, and I watched firsthand how the Legion of Boom and those guys, Michael Bennett, Cliff Averill, to this day, K.J. Wright, <laughs> Cliff Averill, those guys love. They call him DQ. And they want the Seahawks to hire Quinn. They think it's a slam dunk. There shouldn't be anybody else that they look at. So he's a big personality guy, um, aggressive defensive play caller. When he was with Seattle because of the guys he had, his X's and O's, he didn't need to be very elaborate. He was in 4-3 single high safety coverage. They didn't blitz a lot because of who they had. Their Jimmys and Joes are better than X's and O's, and nobody could beat them, so they just played man up. You know here, you know what we're in. That has changed in Dallas, and they are much more varied. They blitz much more. Of course, Seattle and Washington don't have a Micah Parsons to hang your defensive pass rush on, but you would be getting a, a very energetic player-first coach, That, and that's why I say it's somewhat in the Pete Carroll ilk, 
uh, vibe-wise, and and I would think the players would absolutely love him. You know, the one thing um, when I think about Quinn, uh, first of all, it's hard to think about the last time he was coaching a defense because that was an absolute disaster against Matt LaFleur and the Packers in the playoff game. And then you think about their head-to-head with Kyle Shanahan. Um, In particular, it's like the Shanahan scheme guys, and there are two of them in the division in the NFC West, have seemed to have – they've seemingly had his number. Well, they've had Seattle's number too, no matter who the Seattle coordinators have been. And that's the one thing Mike McDonald, to me, Mike McDonald makes the most sense for Seattle. And that's the one thing Mike McDonald's done recently that nobody around Seattle has done, and that's beat San Francisco. And McDonald and the Ravens did it dominantly on Christmas night. I mean, 33-19 doesn't even begin to describe how lopsided that game was. That was five five turnovers for the 49ers, four interceptions for Brock Purdy, 53% completion rate. It was his second-worst game as a starter in the NFL so far. And so John Schneider and the Seahawks are asking, Hey, how did you beat the 49ers? What do you do? Mike McDonald does things the Seahawks haven't done. They very deceptive on defense, switching from two high looks to single high at the snap, adjusting the defensive line. Now Mike McDonald and the Ravens have something that the Seahawks don't have. And that's interior defensive line play that is vastly superior and that's pretty good Seattle linebackers is. and a superstar safety too. Correct, <laughs> Hamilton and yes, all of that. Yeah. But the schemes itself have beaten San Francisco as well as the players. That to me makes him the most attractive candidate. To me, I, I've called Mike McDonald the favorite in print for a month now, knowing that the Seahawks are going to wait for him and do that. But everyone, the Seahawks, all eight candidates they've talked to—that's the question they've been asking. How are you, would you beat the 49ers as the Seahawks head coach? Well, Mike McDonald's already done it. And to your point, yeah, Shanahan and McVay have absolutely dominated Seattle in the NFC West, and that's why they end up firing Pete Carroll and his staff. So your prediction is McDonald to Seattle, Ben Johnson to Washington? Yes, sir. I think okay. that's what's going to happen. Uh, I do think for Johnson the Washington fit is better than the Seattle fit and vice versa for McDonald in Seattle. Um, how surprised were you guys about Pete Carroll? We were. Uh, we thought, and it, all indications from Jody Allen, team chair, was she did not want a regime change before the estate eventually sells this team and franchise as the estate has dictated it has to, and that's probably going to come in the next three to five years. She had Carroll under contract through 2025, and it appeared up until January 9th that everything was Pete Carroll could coach as long as he wanted to. He was under contract past age 75, would have made him the oldest coach in NFL history, and there was no sign of him slowing down. What changed was in the – really what changed was New Year's Eve, the Pittsburgh Steelers came in here. Seattle had yeah. two games to win and go to the playoffs. All they had to win the last two games, they were favored in both. And the Steelers came in here and absolutely manhandled them on the ground. They ran 46 times for 200 yards. Half the lower bowl of the stadium were terrible towels. And it embarrassed Jody Allen and Burt Cold, her his right hand her right hand man that run essentially run the franchise here. And that's when they decided to make a change. That it was they were so physically overwhelmed and by San Francisco the last five games that they decided John Schneider's future of vision of the Seahawks they were gonna go with that over Pete Carroll's. Carroll was probably loath 
to fire his coordinators and change the offensive and defensive coordinators that now Snyder will do. And they decide to give Schneider the ultimate football authority out here in Seattle for 14 years. It's been the other way around. The head coaches had the ultimate authority. He was the executive vice president. He was hired before the GM and in fact hired John Schneider. Pete Carroll did. So it was unlike most GM and coach arrangements. And well, now it's John Schneider's show and the GM out here, he will pick the head coach and it'll be his first time in picking and being the ultimate football authority in the franchise. So that's why this is, I think, a clean break and why they're going to go. They would like to go offense and at least younger non-Dan Quinn when they hire a head coach to be completely uh, – this is a clean break from the Pete Carroll regime. You've had John Schneider there for like a decade and a half, at least I'm guessing. You know, he uh, – many of us believe that the single biggest football mistake, because there were a lot of other mistakes that weren't football-related that Dan Schneider made, was firing Marty Schottenheimer after right. one year. And Marty gave John Schneider the job, essentially the GM job. Marty was the a coach-centric guy when he was here in 2001, but Schneider was – his picked, you know, vice president of player personnel, and uh, from that point, um, his career was off and running. And if if Snyder had done the right thing, we probably would have had Marty for here for a decade because they were on the verge of of, of getting ready to win. Um, right. So I, I I'm curious as to whether or not. Oh, you know, you mentioned something. It, is Seattle basically right now the next team most likely to be sold? I don't know if it's the very next team. It's, Unless it's Tepper a nebulous, does it. It's a nebulous timeline because Paul Allen's estate is so vast. I mean, underwater sea exploration, space exploration, cancer research, um, musical artifacts in museums. I mean, he's at one of the world's richest men in the last quarter century. So it's going to take a long time for his estate to go through each aspect of his uh, what he has and all his assets. The Portland Trailblazers of the NBA and the Seattle Seahawks of the NFL are two of those assets, two of millions. And so whenever the estate lawyers get through all of that and get to the sports teams is when they're going to sell. The, the Vulcan Inc., the, Paul Allen's yeah. corporation that runs the Seahawks, have acknowledged that, yes, the estate has said we have to sell the franchise. That's what Paul Allen put in his will. And so that's going to happen. But when we try to pin them down on years, they tell us things like, well, within five to ten years. That's what I was told three years ago. So starting within a two-year window, if that's accurate, is when they get sold. I, I know the NFL is aware of this, and and there are many corporate suitors with Seattle ties who would buy this team or go into a consortium to buy. And Would Ballmer uh, buy it? He could. Jeff Bezos, who has some yeah, Washington ties with the Post as well. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of Google, Microsoft, Boeing – uh, Starbucks, you name it, corporate leaders out here, but Amazon and Jeff Bezos is the most prominent right now. But yeah, yes, Ballmer right. could, who also owns the Clippers. But that's that's the 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 vision long term is that a Seattle-based corporate behemoth, of which they have a few, are going to buy the team within certainly within the next decade, perhaps the next five years. I wonder, you know, we went through something that was interesting, and ultimately there was really only one suitor willing to pay Dan's price of $6 billion plus. 
until the NFL allows sovereign, allows foreign uh, money and and uh, into this league, we may have capped out at $6 billion. Um, and I wonder if franchises are going to wait for the NFL because it does seem likely that at some point the NFL will change the rule to allow uh, foreign ownership. Uh, and once that happens, then you know, you go to another level potentially in terms of sale price. Right. And I agree with you that I think that's coming too. Uh, and it's part of why the, C- the NFL wants to do overseas games and right. grow the brand. And Asia is the next frontier for that. I agree with you that they're going to allow foreign ownership. And when they do, then the little come off of, of salary of franchise valuations. But the NFL does print money. And as long as the media rights keep going up, and as long as people keep watching and advertisers keep buying into it, you could see crazy numbers. Now, $6 billion is quite an ask. But again, there are corporate people in Seattle that could pay that yeah, or at least partner with a couple others and easily pay that for a new NFL franchise and would be glad to do it. Uh, that's still the runaway revenue train that the NFL is, still is. It, 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 they really do print money. And even in down economic times, they have. And now the new media rights deal this past year proves it again. It's just amazing. And you probably saw the numbers for the two championship games. I tried to explain to my wife recently. She couldn't care less about sports. That's probably why we're married. And I just said, really, when you look at just – the the revenue and and the impact um, of a retail product on this country, the NFL, you could argue, is number one. I'm not saying it's Coke or McDonald's, but it is in that next tier uh, for sure. Um, and and by the way, the, the whole Seattle thing, the the idea that Bezos would want it, Ballmer would want it, and all of these tech and and Boeing, as you mentioned, zillionaires, just the competitive. The landscape might drive the price to something ridiculous just yeah. for that specific franchise more yeah. than, you know, say if the Panthers, if Tepper decided, you know, he wants to cash in at some point. Yeah, um, I think so. And I think that would, I think they would have multiple bidders and that yeah. would drive a price up. Absolutely. Yeah. I have one more football question for you. I'm surprised, and I don't know, I'm going to ask you if you are too. That Mike Vrabel wasn't a significant candidate for any job, specifically this one here and yours out there. Why do you think that is? There is a trend now toward younger hotshot coordinators being the head coaching hires. And I think that's some of the Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay effect, certainly out here on the West Coast and the NFC West. But I'm surprised with you. Uh, I agree with. I thought Vrabel he's would be. He's 48 years old. I mean, he's, he's right. I mean, it's not like he's that much older than some of these candidates. Playoff pedigree has a proven track record of not only going to the playoffs but hiring coaching staffs and leading yeah. and having coach uh, coordinators. Yes, uh, he's a known quantity. Um, it, it is surprising. It less surpri- It's more surprising to me than Bill Belichick. Say me too. Um, and a lot of people are aghast at that, but. Uh, I thought that Vrabel would get interviewed and, and be a can. I had him as one of the leading candidates at the start of this, and the Seahawks never talked to him. Greg Bell uh, covers the Seahawks for the Tacoma News Tribune. Follow him on X at G Bell Seattle. He's got Mike McDonald to the Seahawks, Ben Johnson to Washington. Thanks for your time, Greg. I really appreciate it. 
Thank you. Take care. Appreciate yep. it. Greg joined us courtesy of our BetQL guest hotline. Bet smarter, beat the books. Download the BetQL app today or visit betql.com. Hey, don't forget, just a couple of nights away from our event in Bethesda at the Bethesda Theater, it's all of us from 980, all of the guys from 1067 The Fan hitting the stage together. Tickets are available at BethesdaTheater.com. And we've got a special guest that will be joining us, John Allen, Washington defensive tackle. John Allen will be there with us on stage. We'll get a chance to meet everybody, including John. For all of you that have been listeners to this station for a long period of time, would love to see you out there. So many I I haven't met, many of you I've met, but I haven't seen in a while. I'll be out there not only for the uh, dog and pony on the stage, but I'll be hanging out with you all night long at the Bethesda Theater. So tickets on sale now at BethesdaTheater.com. It's presented by Main Street Bank. Cheer local, bank local. Put their team in your office. Visit MStreetBank.com for more information. Ranking the worst of the playoff losses so far. That's next. Kevin Sheehan Show, the Team 980 and the Team980.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. So we've had 12 NFL playoff games uh, played over the last three weekends. We are down to just... One game, uh, Super Bowl 58, uh, the 49ers and the Chiefs. The line I still see, by the way, at one and a half. I, did, I don't know if I said this to you yesterday. Um, I know that I talked about it on the podcast with Cooley. If anything, Denton, if you told me that the line changed between right now, one and a half, and then kickoff uh, for the Super Bowl, I would bet it would move in KC's favor. Now, I think there's going to be public action on KC, but I bet you more sharp money comes in on, on the Chiefs as we approach kickoff. So my if, if the line moves, I think it ends up being San Francisco minus one or pick them, or maybe even KC minus one by the time we get to 
kickoff, not the other way around. It, it, I, I could be way off. It's just a hunch. What do you think? I mean, I, I think I think the public is going to lay heavy in favor of Kansas City. I, I almost feel like I'm leaning towards San Francisco. So I don't know how much it's going to come down unless the Sharps really, really hammer the points. I think this may be a game in which the Sharps are lined up with the public. Um, I bet you that I, 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 um, I can find out um, in the next day or two. I, I bet you there's a lot of KC money line action. You know, at even money, I've seen some plus 105s out there, plus 110s. I bet you there's a lot of Chiefs money line. I could be, I, I could be off on this. I have not seen any early numbers on what's coming on, uh, coming in on the Super Bowl. I can um, tell you that the money line number has changed a little bit. It was plus money. It was plus 104 at the start of our show yesterday, and then it got down to minus 106. The book I'm looking at, it's back up to plus 106. Okay, so, you know, KC, and then they bought it back the other way. Um, all right, uh, so the 12 playoff games that have been played so far have featured some pretty bad losses. And when I say bad losses, I'm not talking about one-sided. I'm talking about hurtful losses to franchises, to fan bases, to you know specific players. Um, there have been some you know kind of noted, I think, losses in this postseason. Remember, we had Wild Card Weekend kicked off with the Texans smoking the Browns, the Chiefs in that super cold weather win over the Dolphins. And then that Sunday, because the Buffalo game got moved because of the blizzard, we had Packers-Cowboys, Rams-Lions. Then we had that Monday, a doubleheader, Steelers-Bills, Eagles-Bucks. Then last weekend, we had Ravens over Texans, 49ers coming back to beat the Packers, the Lions beating the Buccaneers, and the Chiefs going into Orchard Park and beating the Bills. And then, of course, Sunday, we had the Chiefs beating the Ravens and the 49ers rallying from 17 down to beat the uh, Lions. So Denton and I are going to put together ranking the top five most hurtful, painful playoff losses in these 12 games. If you want to jump on at 301-230-0980 and give, give us the game you think was the worst loss of the playoffs playoff so far, have at it. Uh, our Ace Law listener lines are open at 301-230-0980. So what we're going to do is we're going to count it down from the fifth worst loss to the worst loss on each of our lists. Uh, we'll both go, um, you know, I'll, I'll give you my fifth. Denton will give us his fifth. My fifth out of the 12 games in terms of the worst loss And it's not because it's like a devastating loss to the franchise because this was house money for the Lions. But the way they lost the game Sunday had to be painful. It had to hurt. Again, this isn't one of those that sticks with them for a long, long time because they were just so ecstatic to be in the playoffs, to host a playoff game for the first time since you know the mid-'90s, to win a playoff game for the first time since ninety one, to win two playoff games for the first time since 1957. So there was a lot of this is all icing on the cake. Anything could happen to us, and it's okay now. We can breathe. But still, blowing a 17-point lead in a game that they were thoroughly dominating, 
is enough to make number five on my list. The Lions' loss is the fifth worst loss of the playoffs for me. What's your number five? Number five for me is the Dallas Cowboys losing against the Green Bay Packers. This was more of the lopsided option, as you had mentioned, but you look at the NFC, and it sure had to feel like Dallas. They looked at that as if they were in good position to potentially re-see San Francisco this time of the NFC Championship game, and they got shellacked, and they did it by a guy who was playing in his first ever playoff game. Oftentimes we talk about experience and experience this, experience that. Well, the team with way less experience blew their doors off, so I got Dallas losing to Green Bay at five. Wow. I mean, I don't want to bury my lead here, but I, I that was – much worse for me than the fifth worst loss um, of the postseason. All right, I'll go to my number four. I wrestled with this a little bit because I think the top two personally for me are easy. And then four, I'm going to say the Eagles lost to the Buccaneers. It's not the final score that they got blown out. It was the conclusion to just one of the ugliest collapses we have seen in recent NFL history from 10 and 1 as the defending NFC champions to five losses in the final six games of the regular season, with, by the way, the only win coming a close win against the Giants on Christmas Day. And then to go to Tampa and get shellacked, it just hammered home, oh my God, in one month, basically, well, two months, month and a half. We went from a franchise that's on top of the NFC world, come catch us, to we might fire our coach. And if we don't fire our head coach, we're firing our defensive coordinator and offensive coordinator. we got to reshuffle the whole deck. We're now concerned about Jalen Hurts. We're now concerned about a defense that was unbelievable last year and was horrendous, so our personnel doesn't look as good. Um, This was a painful conclusion to a train wreck of an end of a season. So I've got the Eagles lost to the Buccaneers as the fourth worst loss of the postseason so far. What's your number four? For me, it's the Detroit Lions. I mean, you have a three-score lead for a chance to get to the Super Bowl, and you lose. And a lot has been made about Dan Campbell, but the drops, the fumbles, the defense not knowing that Debo Samuel was good in the second half. Like, there's a lot of reasons you can point to that loss and say, man, everybody screwed up here. But that's a gut punch. You know, you mentioned that they they won the game for the first time in like three decades. So, like, congratulations to them for that. But you still look at this knowing this was a lightning in the bottle kind of a season. You got so close. You had it literally in, the, in, in your fingertips and you let it slip right through. So, I got Detroit at four. All right, the third worst playoff loss, and then again, for me anyway, I think the first two are easy. Um, Number three is the Buffalo loss to Kansas City. Not because Kansas City isn't great and it's Mahomes and like they definitely should have won the game, Um, but this was their chance. This was the chance for Buffalo that may not exist at least for a year or two until they reshape probably at a you know because of cap uh, restraints etc reshape their roster they had Kansas City at home 
in that stadium in a playoff game. It was Mahomes' first road playoff game. They had killed it down the stretch, winning their five last five regular season games, beating the Chiefs, beating the Cowboys, beating the Rams, beating the Dolphins for the division title on the final you know, Sunday night game of the year. They had destro- not destroyed Pittsburgh, but they'd beaten Pittsburgh handily. And this was a gut punch for that Buffalo fan base and for that Buffalo franchise because now, you know, there's lots of change in play uh, for Buffalo. They're, they're going to have to get better and younger across that roster. Um, this was the big chance for Buffalo to make that Super Bowl win while the window was still, you know, slightly ajar. And losing that was hurtful. That's the third worst playoff loss of the 12 games for me. What's your number three? Three for me is Philadelphia. I I look on paper, Philadelphia is way more talented than Tampa Bay. Jalen Hurts, theoretically, way more talented than Baker Mayfield, and it didn't even look like they wanted to be there. I have never seen a team that had such high hopes and high expectations completely check out prior to a playoff game even starting their their whole entire you know coordinating staff got completely you know ripped to shreds fired all gone uh, that was a, that was just a really team with high expectations and not only that you send a beloved figure in that area in Jason Kelsey you send him off with an embarrassing loss he's likely done and retiring after this year that's a bad loss for Philadelphia so for me, when I thought about the losses, um, and to me there were two that stood out more than any other. My number two was Baltimore Sunday uh, at home against Kansas City. The expectations of the best regular season team to have a championship game at M&T Bank for the first time ever in Baltimore for the first time in 54 years um, the feeling that this really was a Super Bowl team, that Kansas City wasn't what we've seen in recent years, the expectations of that franchise, of that fan base, and then the hope that Lamar Jackson would have that signature postseason win. He had given them reason to believe that it would happen with his play against Houston, especially in the second half. And to play so poorly on offense in particular, to be so undisciplined as they were, and to lose 17-10, to 10, you know, the game certainly was close. There were opportunities for, for Baltimore with the Zay Flowers fumble, you know, at the goal line. But you really kind of felt almost from the jump when Kansas City scored touchdowns on their first two drives that Baltimore was in trouble and you could feel it, you know, sort of tightening up as the game went on. That was the second worst and most hurtful loss of the 12 games played in the postseason so far. What's your number two? Number two for me is Buffalo. They had everything they wanted, game at home, and yet still 30 years later, the same thing that haunted them in the Jim Kelly era haunts them this year, wide right. Like, losing in that fashion to me was salt on the wound. Not just a little bit. It wasn't a pinch of salt. It was a it was a handful of salt on the wound. Josh Allen played not perfect necessarily, but he played as good as he's played in, in quite some time in the postseason. You know, we talk about Mahomes not putting the ball in harm's way with turnovers. I thought he did a really good job. There was a little bit of luck with the fumble that his guys were able to fall on, but it felt like everything was bouncing the way of the Buffalo Bills for the entirety of the game, 
until that kick. And then yet again, 30 years later, wide right still haunts that fan base. So that's number two for me. Number one for me is Dallas. Um, The Cowboys won 12 games for a third straight year. They got the two seed, uh, which meant they were going to be able to host two playoff games to get to the NFC Championship game for the first time since 1995. You know, it looked like they would have a playoff game in the first round against a team they could beat. Uh, and then a rematch potentially with Detroit in Dallas in that second game, and then they would take another swing at the Niners in the in the NFC title game. That was the expectation. No Dallas fan, other than those that you know just worry a lot, were concerned about what happened in the game against Green Bay. And in one three-hour period, not only did they lose, they got embarrassed. They got emasculated they got exposed in a way that has had you know reverberations here since that Sunday evening in Dallas three weeks ago I mean there was certainly the thought that there was no way that McCarthy was going to be able to hold on to his job and he did I mean, remarkably, by the way, with people throughout the NFC East cheering Jerry's decision, you had all of a sudden a a quarterback who had had a borderline MVP year, and everybody's like, yeah, that's the guy. Finally, you know, he's finally done it. And and look, I mean, there were some wins. He you know the the the, the, the he got the win over Philadelphia at home in December. Um, where they closed it out with the win against Detroit Saturday in that Saturday night uh, before New Year's Eve. They they almost you know they won the division from Philadelphia. They took back the NFC East from Philadelphia. And they're going to make a run here. Worst case, they're going to be in an NFC title game in San Francisco to take, you know, a swing at the 49ers for another for would have fourth straight season, right? They played them for three or two straight years. It would have been third straight year, excuse me, in yeah. the postseason. And my God, it was twenty-seven to nothing before we knew it in that game. I mean, it was so bad so quickly. They never had a chance to even settle in to their seats. And Green Bay opened up that game on like a drive that seemed like it took 10 minutes. I think it was, you know, almost eight. Uh, And they ran it down their throat with Aaron Jones. And then the pick six by Savage that made it 27 to nothing. And then when they were down 48 to 16, and there were still like 12 minutes to go in the game. It looked like Green Bay was going to score 50 or 60 against this team. And post that loss, McCarthy stays miraculously. All of the talk about Jerry once again back in play will never win as long as he owns the team because he's too involved. And then the Dak hate starts just a couple of weeks after everybody thought he had a chance to be the MVP. CeeDee Lamb's you know, uh, mother, uh, Micah Parsons' brother, I'm forgetting somebody. And by the way, nobody coming publicly to this moment, I don't think, to, to Dak's defense other than Dak's brother. The Cowboys went from a chance to win a couple of playoff games for the first time in like 30 years to not only getting knocked out, but getting knocked out in a fashion that was just truly embarrassing and exposing. 
And there's a whole lot of question marks now about this franchise, about the quarterback, and certainly about the head coach and the owner. The Cowboys' loss for me was the worst loss by any of these franchises in the postseason so far. What's your number one? For me, it's Baltimore. I mean, you had an opportunity to get to the Super Bowl and play either the San Francisco 49ers, who you crushed, or the Detroit Lions, who you crushed even more. The game was at your spot for the first time in, you know, in the inception of the Ravens, really. You had to go way back to another franchise before that kind of game was in Baltimore. The environment was rocking. You had the number one defense in the NFL, one of the best players in the entire postseason in Kyle Hamilton. You got the the guy who's about to win his second MVP, and it all collapsed. The defense, I thought, got walked down the field twice. They were able to kind of get their wits about them in the for the remainder of the game, but the offense looked like me in a cold plunge, shriveled. It was nowhere to be found. It was embarrassing how good they had been this season to watch the product that they put out with a chance to go to the Super Bowl. They they – they fell to the shadow of Patrick Mahomes. That's a bad, bad loss for Baltimore. So uh, I think they're the, the worst. Them, like Detroit, you're going to lose a lot of pieces. A lot of guys need new contracts on that defense that probably aren't going to get it, and they're going to go elsewhere. Might lose your defensive coordinator as well. This is a rough one for Baltimore. All right. Uh, if you want to weigh in, 301-230-0980, 301-230-0980. Give us what you think was the worst loss. I'm not talking about score-wise. I'm talking about truly embarrassing, hurtful to the franchise, uh, to maybe too, uh, too many players uh, in the franchise. What was the worst loss of the 12 playoff games so far? 301 230 0980 It's Kevin Sheehan Show on the Team 980 and the Team980.com. Big win for the Wizards last night. They take down the San Antonio Spurs 118 to 113. Their first two-game winning streak of the season. Round of applause for them. Six guys in double figures. Kuzma, Gafford, Jones, Poole, Bagley, and Kulabali, all scoring 10 or more points. They're now 9 and 37 on the season they're off today back at home Wednesday against the Clippers some sad news at a major league baseball Jimmy Williams passed away at the age of 80 he was a 1999 AL manager of the year with the Boston Red Sox and that's what's trending hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. All right, our Ace Law listener lines are open, 301-230-0980, 301-230-0980. In a wreck, Ace Law helps you get a check. Call 8888-ACE-LAW. So what I'm looking for here is the worst loss of the postseason. 
so far. Uh, I want your number one. If you want to give me something that's close, that's fine. My top five in order, I think Dallas's loss was the worst. I just think franchise-wise, expectation-wise, all of a sudden the you know, sort of the aftermath of the discussion about Dak, the discussion about McCarthy, et cetera. They were supposed to, this year, beat Green Bay, win another home game, and play a road NFC title game against the 49ers. And not only did they lose, they got annihilated. Uh, The Ravens, to me, was the um, second worst, uh, were the second worst loss because of the expectations at home, best regular season team. The Bills, because that window's closing and they had Kansas City finally at home, was the third worst. The Eagles, because it's just the culmination of an absolute, you know, disastrous train wreck of an end of a season, the loss at Tampa Bay. And then the Lions uh, came in fifth for me because, look, they were they were just happy to be there after they won a game at home. Uh, but it still was a painful loss that they just handed, gift-wrapped a 17-point lead um, and gift-wrapped an opportunity for San Francisco to get back into the game and win it. Uh, Denton thinks Baltimore was the worst, followed by Buffalo, Philly, the Lions, and he's got Dallas's loss as the fifth-worst loss. So what do you think? Who had the worst playoff loss? Let's start with J.J. in Arlington. J.J., go ahead. Good morning, gentlemen. Um with the exception of the Atlanta Falcons loss in the Super Bowl, the Seattle Seahawks loss to the Patriots, that ridiculous call by by Carroll, the Lions loss was the worst loss I'd ever seen. The game was over. If they kick the field goal, the game is over. I don't understand analytics. 49er fans would have had to go home after that. It was up 17. They would have need three touchdowns to win. And that's a that's a that's a franchise that has never been to the Super Bowl, and it doesn't even come close to the others. At least the other organizations have Super Bowl trophies in their building. The Lions have nothing, and so for for them to lose the way they did, by far, is the worst loss ever. I I understand where you're coming plan. from, specific to the game, um, and you're a hundred percent right. That game was over and done with. They were dominating and. They gift-wrapped the opportunity for the 49ers to get back into it and and win it. Um, It's just that, for me, Detroit wasn't expecting to win that game. They had won two playoff games, and there was a sense of, wow, I mean, we're in the NFC Championship game for the first time since 91. We've won two playoff games at home. Um, But yeah, look, there are people in Detroit that are in pain that they're not in the Super Bowl because they should have been headed to the Super Bowl. Uh, Joe, Joe in Springfield. Joe, what was the worst loss of the postseason? Kevin, how are you doing this morning? Good, Joe. All right. Well, I will say that to me, I mean, first off, I mean, Dallas Cowboys was a shock too. I mean, as much as I love seeing the Cowboys get eliminated, Cowboys was a shock, but I'll put that as number two. Kevin, the Baltimore Ravens to me was the biggest disappointment because for the second time in a playoff game at home for Lamar Jackson, you had him throw the ball. This time it was 37 times. It wasn't 59 times like it was against the Titans a couple of years ago. But that's not Lamar Jackson. I mean, you only ran the ball 16 times, the team did. Baltimore Ravens are known for running the football, and yet you only had it 16 times against the Chiefs. Now, I understand the Chiefs did jump out early on them, 
and Lamar Jackson didn't respond with that long touchdown pass to Flowers, but then Kansas City responded, and all of a sudden Baltimore just didn't want to run the football anymore. That's, that's what Baltimore Ravens are known for, and Lamar Jackson. You can't expect him to throw 30-plus times. That's not going to get it done. And that's, I mean, Lamar Jackson struggled as much as, I mean, he's going to win him league MVP, but he's not going to get to a Super Bowl. So that's the biggest disappointment. Kevin, I'll see you in Den Friday night. Take care. Oh, good, Joe. Um, look, I, I put a lot of this on Todd Munkin. I, I do. He put way too much of that game on on Lamar Jackson. I don't know why running backs in that game got six carries. It's insane considering they were the number one rush offense in the NFL and it wasn't even close. Uh, and yeah, Kansas City's tough to run on. Kansas City is a really good defense, and maybe ultimately they wouldn't have been successful running. Edwards had a couple of good runs early, um, had a 15-yard run, I think, on that touchdown drive. Uh, he Edwards was three carries, 20 yards. All right, that's it. That's it. That's all he got. Three carries, 20 yards. Um, yeah, that that's mystifying. Uh, I would have had Jackson much more involved in just the overall run game. Not maybe Greg Roman style, but he's your best player, and I'm with you. It's 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 mystifying. Um, if you're on hold, stay there. I promise we'll take a few more calls on the other side. 301-230-0980, 301-230-0980. Which of the 12 playoff games played so far – was the worst loss for a franchise, for a team. Uh, I've got Dallas as suffering the worst loss. Denton's got Baltimore as suffering the worst loss. What do you got? 301-230-0980. It's the Kevin Sheehan Show on the Team 980 and theteam980.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 